Today, we continue in our series. We come to the prayer that is at the end of the third chapter. You will remember that chapter 3, verse 1, started with, for this reason, and then Paul got sidetracked and chased a rabbit trail, and now he is coming back in verse 14 to, for this reason, again. So this is the prayer that Paul had intended before he got sidetracked with the imprisonment and the mystery that was the church and how he was uniting all things through the church. And so now he's going to pray for those who are in Ephesus and others that are reading this letter before he moves out of the theological section of 1, 2, and 3 into the practical application section of 4, 5, and 6. So our next sermon, we start moving into a whole lot of practical application. But it's important for us, before we get to that practical application, to make sure that we remember what comes prior to it. It's not just a list of things that we do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, check this box, check that box, and you'll be okay. It's the theological foundation upon which all of those actions are built. And that theological foundation then tells us who we are, so then we can live out life as who we are, not in conflict with ourselves. We can live out life as genuine followers of Christ, not with this conflict of who we are, but, but not yet already being there. So this is the prayer. So this is kind of like, as I've studied this, this is like my prayer for you. This is like my prayer for me. So this prayer is a very intentional, purposeful prayer. So we're going to look at this this morning and walk through it. Now there's a Trinitarian structure to our prayer. He bows the knees. He prays to the Father. He prays that the Father then would allow the Spirit to strengthen us so that we may know the love of Christ. This is kind of how we pray. We pray in Jesus' name to the Father through the power of the Spirit. And so we see that structure in here. And another thing I want to tell you before we read the text. In this prayer, we see what Paul is most concerned about. He's writing a letter. He's in jail. But he's not praying as I would be praying, just to be honest about it. And probably many of you too. If I were writing a letter to you from jail, I would say, why don't you guys have a prayer vigil to pray I get out of jail, right? I want to eat some Oreo balls. You don't have Oreo balls in jail. I want to pray I get out of jail. So often, my prayers, and I assume probably yours, are about superficial matters. Lord, I pray that you would be with Aunt Susie who stubbed her toe and, and Uncle Phil who's had a cedar plague. And it's all external stuff, right? Be well. That's not what Paul's praying for. There's a caution to us all there in that what we pray for may be what we're focused on most and what we're focused on most may not be what we truly need to focus on. So let's listen closely to the Apostle Paul as he teaches us how to pray and what we should be concerned about when we pray. And let's ask ourselves this question as we read this text. Are we treating God more like a genie in a bottle? More like he is in our back pocket that we can rub the bottle three times and say, give me this wish. Lord, give me this. Give me this. Give me, give me, give me. Are we treating God more like Santa's Christmas wish list than we are the God of the universe? Are we treating God more like the only thing that really matters is this external flesh, which is wasting away, rather than the internal spirit and the matters of the heart? The central idea of our text You'll see it as we read through it. We'll walk through it. We'll come back to it. But the central idea of our text is that we need strengthening through the Spirit to comprehend the love of Christ and live in the fullness of God. It's a little bit longer. It's more of an outline. It's, it's harder to get that shorter. 
Because we need the strengthening of the Spirit. We've got to have it. As Christians, we believe you can't do the Christian life by yourself. It's not pull up my bootstraps and make it happen. It's I need the Spirit. It's in my weakness, He shows strength. So that's why I daily pray and read my Bible and have my time with God is because I know I can't do it. It's why we pray. Because we know we need help. We need strengthening through the Spirit to even comprehend the love of Christ so that we then may live in the fullness of God. Our text is chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far, far more, far more abundantly Then all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Dear Lord, we pray today that we would catch a glimpse of your love for us, that we would seek to be strengthened through your spirit that we would lean on you to live a life in the fullness of God. May you be glorified as we walk through this text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you may be seated. Verses 14 through 19 is again another long Greek sentence. Today as we walk through this text, we're gonna use four key words. Those four key words will help us just walk through the text In those four key words, we're going to look at humility, strength, comprehension, and exaltation. So point number one, your first key word, let's look at humility. You're going to find humility in verses 14 and 15. He says, for this reason, reminds us of chapter 3, verse 1, this reason I bow the knees. I bow my knees. Now we see this, and in our culture, it's often just commonplace for us to bow on our knees before we pray. We get down on our knees and it's really a sign of humility. It's a sign of perhaps our thought is that we are bowing before the king of the universe. And we see that that's what Paul is indicating here. But we understand that that's not the only position that is the appropriate position to pray in. Abraham stood before the Lord when he prayed for Sodom in Genesis 18:22. David sat before the Lord and he prayed about the future of his kingdom in 1 Chronicles 17:6. The Pharisees and publicans, of course, stood, and they stood perhaps for the wrong reasons. They stood so they would be seen. 
Perhaps today we find ourselves kneeling so that we will be seen. If we do it to be seen, that's wrong. If we do it because it's a condition of our heart and it's service to God, that's right. And that's good. And there may be times in your prayer life where God wants you to stand and lift your hands as though you're reaching up to a heavenly father and pray. And that's good and that's proper and that's wise. And there may be times where God is crushing you under the weight of your sin and you just want to kneel before him. And there may be times as Jesus bearing all of the weight of the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, where it says he fell on his face in Matthew 26, 39. It's not so much the position of our body that's important here. It's the position of our heart. If our heart is a heart that is prideful and arrogant, then honestly, we're probably not praying anyway. And if we are praying, we're praying those memorized rogue prayers that make us sound good. We use all these fancy words. We, we make sure everybody knows that we know the Lord's Prayer. And we say things that, oh, talk about how good my prayers are. That's not a good condition of the heart. So if you're in the room and you know you struggle with arrogance and pridefulness, this point's for you. I've got a point later on that won't be for you. But this point is for you. That when Paul, the apostle Paul, the guy that wrote a large portion of the New Testament, came before the Lord, he said, I bowed my knees. There's this, an attitude of humility here that we should emulate. But I want to say to you, it's not about kneeling, standing, sitting, walking, or lying. And if you're praying while you're driving a car, please don't try to kneel on your knees. That's not a safe driving position, all right? And you don't have to close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. Even though now they have lane correct and all, keep your eyes open. Look ahead. We all will thank you. And yes, it's perfectly okay to pray with a submissive heart, with your eyes open while you're driving down the road. Especially if you're in heavy traffic in a city, then maybe it's a really good thing for you to pray while you're doing that. I bow the knees before the Father. Oh, this is good. Before the Father. Now, what, what this means as he continues on in this, before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, is, it's really that God's the creator, right? We know that God is not the Father, spiritually speaking, of everyone because God is the Father of those who have repented and believed and been adopted and been renewed. God's the Father of believers. But in the sense that God created everybody, nobody is named without coming from God as creator. But he prays here on his knees to the Father. Now, you might expect that as Paul is doing this, he would say, I'll get down on my knees before the sovereign king of the universe. It kind of fits and flows that way, right? An act of humility before somebody that's worthy of all humility. But he combines this and he says, I have a, I have a humble heart. I have a penitent heart. I'm on my knees before the Father. Now, Father brings to mind an entirely different connotation. I was blessed to have a great godly dad. Many of you have the exact same thing. So how do you talk to your dad? You just talk to him. You talk to him like he's your friend. You, you tell your dad what's going on in life. You ask your dad questions. This is how we pray. We don't pray with rogue memorized prayers. And I find myself way too often saying the same things. We, we say the same thing when we eat, right? We pray before we have a meal and we, we're blessing the meal. And so, Lord, thank you for this food. Maybe a nourishment to our bodies. Good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. I mean, whatever your prayer is, right? There's, there's some habit that we slip into and those habits are not really good prayers because all they are are words. It's not a heartfelt conversation with a father. So is it okay to take questions to God? 
How many of you have ever asked your dad on this earth a question? Raise your hand. Yeah, ask God the Father a question. How many of you have ever expressed a little bit of frustration with your father on this earth? Raise your hand. It's okay to express a little frustration respectfully on the knees to God the Father. He can handle it. He's not scared of your questions and he's not scared of your frustrations. He's got it covered. Now, here's a check for us all. Most of you had really good earthly fathers. Some of you may have not. This father is a perfect father. So imagine in your mind you have the perfect dad. What if you don't want to talk to your dad or you have a poor relationship with your dad or you never talk to your dad? If you never talk to your dad, if you never desire to talk to your dad, if you don't know what to say when you do talk to your dad, that's an indication to you that you have a poor relationship. If you never talk to your heavenly father, if you never have a desire to talk to your heavenly father, if you never know what to say when you talk to your heavenly father, that's a good indication that you have a poor relationship with your heavenly father. If you never pray, it's a good indication you think you've got it handled. And so you're trusting yourself. If that's what you're doing, you think too highly of yourself and you think too little of your God. This is the God from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. There's a humility that comes with prayer. There's a humility that comes with bowing the knee. We move on to a second word, strength. We see strength in verses 16 and 17. Look at what it says here. According to the riches of his glory. Aren't you glad that Paul's praying according to the riches of God's glory? Because those riches are infinite. You know, if you came up and asked me for a little bit of money, I have limited resources. If you came up and asked a billionaire for money, they have many more resources. Paul is asking God, who has all the resources, that according to, not out of, but according to all of your riches of glory, may grant you to be strengthened with the power of his spirit. We must have strength from outside us to live the Christian life. This is also passive. We must be strengthened through the power of the spirit. Now, we understand through biblical study that the sanctification process, not the salvation process, the salvation process is all God. God gets all the glory, everything for salvation. In sanctification, we understand there's this aspect of us, and we'll, we'll catch it even in the book of Ephesians, of not quenching the Holy Spirit, of not grieving the Holy Spirit, but of being filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's this aspect that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where he says, now work out your own salvation. There's stuff for us to do. Because it is God who works in you. So there's this aspect of we follow, God works. We work out our own salvation, but it's God who works in us to do these things. And so we need to be strengthened with an outside strength that's not just in us, which means that as Christians, we believe you can't live the Christian life in your own power. Do you get that? Because if you're still trying to do everything right in your own power, that's legalism. That's moral therapeutic deism. That's coping skills. That will crush you because you can't be perfect because you were born a sinner. And even though you may be saved and you're a new creation, you still have that flesh that causes us to want to sin. So you can't do it. So if you never read your Bible, if you never pray, if you never go to church, if you never lean to others, then that independent action will crush you. That's the Romans 7. 
not the Romans 8. And Romans 7 ends in, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? So maybe you're there. Maybe you haven't recognized that in a humility that you need outside help to live the Christian life well. So then write it down. I can't do this in my own power. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. And begin in strength. And sometimes our strongest position is on our knees. Father, I need you. Are you there? Strength from the outside. And this strength through the power of the Spirit to our inner being. It's not our outer bodies. It's our inner being. So we understand 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now I'm talking to a bunch of college students in your athletic physical prime. 18 to 22 years old. You don't think about the fact that your body is wasting away. But I'm here to give you great news today that it's all downhill from here. (laughs) I know. I remember... I really remember when I could do really stupid things at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and I would heal just like that. It, you'd, get, you'd get well, bones would mend, scars would cover over, things would happen. I mean, you just great. And now you do little things, and it takes weeks or months, and you're like, what's wrong with me? I'm dying. That's what's wrong with me, just like you are. You're getting closer one day at a time to death. What an encouraging moment for you here in chapel. You are growing stronger to a certain point, but then you're going to find that you don't grow stronger anymore. You fight as hard as you possibly can not to grow weaker. And I see people that are in the gym with me every day trying to fight that downhill battle as hard as we can. And we have conversations all the time about should we just give up? I'm not improving anymore. I'm working as hard as I know how not to fall off the cliff. The outward body's wasting away. But guess what? Paul's prayer is not for the outward body, is it? Paul says here that you may be strengthened through the power of the Spirit in your inner being. And that inner being, by the grace and mercy of God, is growing stronger day by day. And this is part of his plan. This outward flesh that we take pride in gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. But that inner portion, as we grow in our spiritual life, gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And then our longing for this earth gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. But our longing for heaven to be there with Christ, with all things made new and all things set right, gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And the longer we live this life, the more we long for him to come again and for us to live in eternity with him. He breaks us away from our prideful arrogance of our flesh and he causes us to long in to the spiritual depth of what he's doing in our inner spirit. And if you're not experiencing that, then maybe you're way too proud about your own flesh. You just haven't gotten there yet. But you will, so take notes. Store away knowledge for the future. Ask your faculty members this afternoon. Most of us are old enough. We are over the other side. Ask your mom and dad. Hey, dad. Does your body work like it used to? Do you heal? Are you as strong? Are you really an old man? I mean, he'll love that question, right? (laughs) Probably not. I wouldn't like it either, but 
All right. The inner being. This even works. There's even an analogy. Many of you are athletes. The big rage right now is to work on your core strength. All right? Work on your core strength. It's also important to work on your cardio. You, you can build big muscles and you can have really bad muscles inside. You can have no cardio health. You work on the things that are not seen rather than the beach muscles that are seen if you want to be fully healthy, right? There's a good spiritual principle for us there as well. We do this, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is a restatement. What does it mean to be strengthened through the power of his spirit? It means that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. It's being filled with the spirit. It's that the word of God may dwell in you richly. It's all of these things. You lean to the power of the spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, here's important. Write the word dwell down in your journal. Underline it in your Bible. Circle it if you wish. There are a couple of words that could be used for the word dwell here. But the words that are put together don't just mean a hotel visit or a dormitory. The words put together here mean to take up residence, to inhabit, to colonize, to settle down. So here's a good question for you. We want Jesus to dwell in our hearts, but do we do things in such a way that Jesus doesn't feel at home? So I, I travel a good bit. So when I go to a hotel room, what would you think the hotel would say if I walked into a hotel room and I said, hey, I really don't like this painting. I'm going to take it down. I'm going to, to Home Goods. I'm going to buy something that's prettier. And you know what? This, this paint color is all wrong. We're going to Lowe's. And tonight we're going to repaint this hotel room and put a new picture up here. What would happen when I checked out of the hotel? They would look at me like, this is not your place. You're a little bit crazy and you scare us. So just leave. Don't ever come back. We don't want you to come back. Do you treat Christ in your own heart? I say, you're okay with him being there for an hour on Sunday morning, but then we'll see you next week. Don't come back. We want Christ to take up residence in our heart, to feel comfortable, to settle down, to rearrange the furniture if the furniture needs to be rearranged, not to tuck Jesus away in a little bitty corner of our house so that we can do what we want and still have our genie in a bottle, but to say to Jesus, make yourself at home. This is your place. Does he feel at home? This is not a roommate. This is more like a spouse and the covenant meaning of the word spouse. So I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you have a bad roommate because that could create problems. And nobody at Cedarville ever has a bad roommate. That just doesn't happen here. It's... It's not possible. But some other schools really struggle with some bad roommates. And so you probably know somebody somewhere that has a roommate that's just completely inconsiderate. And what do you do if you have a roommate that's just horrible? You, I want a new roommate. I'm out of this thing. Uh-uh, not happening. But when you get married and you realize that you have a roommate that has some issues, which is two sinners getting married, so you do. You're going to have issues. Whether it's the way they squeeze the toothpaste from the middle and not from the bottom. How ungodly, unbelievable. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Joy. Um, or toilet paper from the bottom and not the top. I mean, unless you have a cat, that's just ludicrous, right? Come on. It's the little things that matter. And if you have a cat, we have other issues to talk about. So <laughs> just kidding, not really. Yeah. 
So you've got a lifelong relationship with spouse. You've got an eternity-long relationship with a Savior. So when the Savior says, rearrange the furniture, you don't say, no, I like it where it is. Deal with it. You say, yes, sir. We rearrange the furniture. That's what it means to allow Christ to dwell in your heart richly. So much good stuff here. Rooted and grounded in love. Rooted, plant analogy, grounded, building analogy. So let's talk about that for just a second. How many of you like to grow plants? You do really well at it. Raise your hand. There's not many of you. All right, good. I'm in good company. Because I always thought, when I was, when I was in a dorm room, I always thought it'd be great to have a plant in the dorm room. So I'm going to have a plant in the dorm room. So I go to the plant store or whatever it was. I don't know if it was Lowe's or somewhere. It was somewhere that was selling green stuff. And I said, what is the hardest thing to kill? And they said, an aloe plant. You can't kill it. I said, sold. Give me one of those. And it was great because, you know, you could like burn yourself and you could break off part of the aloe and you could put the aloe on yourself. They like sell the cream and stuff like that. I thought, this is awesome. This, this is just great. I'm just being totally back to nature here. And I've got this aloe plant. And so I took really good care of this aloe plant. I watered it every single day, sometimes two or three times a day. Oh, see, you know more about plants than you let on. Because what happened one day is that plant, it had three prongs. I still remember it. In this pot and the soil was nice and damp. It was great. And it was really green until it fell over. <laughs> it had no roots. And now being serious, catch my heart for you here. This is my fear for you. Student at Cedarville University, chapel five days a week, Bible minor, biblical worldview in all of your classes. Are you being watered so much here that you're neglecting to dig your roots deep? Are you in a greenhouse where you're driving those roots down as deep as you can because you know this doesn't last forever? Or are you sitting back being watered all the time so that when you leave here, you, you look nice and pretty until you fall over? So get this, Paul's prayer is that you would be rooted, that you would have deep roots that's your walk with Christ, not what we give you in chapel or in class or everywhere else. Dig deep. Solid foundation. I had a buddy that built a house, and he didn't know it at the time, but he bought a house, and the house had been built on top of a landfill. So he started noticing at first some cracks in the doorways. And then he started noticing some cracks in the walls. So then he called some people and they said, yeah, the, every house in this area has this problem because it was built on bad land and nobody knew it at the time all the houses were built. Uh, apparently somebody just wanted to make some money and they sold all the stuff. And she's like, okay, how do we fix it? And they're like, we're just gonna tear up all of your carpet and your floors and we're gonna dig some really deep pylons and we're gonna pour some concrete in there and we're gonna jack up your foundation and we're gonna make it secure. And the house was a wreck for many, many days. He's saying to us, get your roots deep. Rooted in Christ, get your foundation solid. This is what we have to do. All right, I gotta move on. Point number three, comprehension, 18 and 19. May you have strength to comprehend. Now, wait a second, you mean I can't just get this? No, you can't. You need strength to begin to comprehend the love of Christ. You need strength to comprehend, not by yourself, but with all the saints. Why is with all the saints there? Because I alone can't experience the fullness of Christ's love. 
because things in my life are different than things in somebody else's life. So when I look across in a godly fellowship, in a local church where you're plugged in, in a community of believers, and you see somebody that's going through cancer and God's love is there and his grace is sufficient, it causes my understanding and comprehension of God's love to grow deeper. When you look at somebody that's struggling with something and God supplies, when God answers prayers in my own life, my comprehension then grows deeper. I begin to understand with all of the saints. Look what it says, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Now, it's really weird here because it doesn't tell us what it's talking about. Comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. And then Paul goes to an and, and to know the love of Christ. So most people have connected these four words to the love of Christ that we are to know, which surpasses all knowledge. So I want you to comprehend and know that which you can't know because it surpasses all knowledge. You can't comprehend it, but I really want you to. You can experience some of it, but you're never going to know it in full. And it is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Now, many people have interpreted this in many different ways throughout history. I'm not going to go through all of them. Some of them said it's about the temple. Some of them said it's about the cross. Some of them said it's about astrology. Some of them said it's about the universe and creation, all sorts of different things. I think it's just telling us how great the love of Christ is. So just look at Ephesians. The love of Christ can reach to the depths of the darkest sin, so much so that it raises dead people to life in Ephesians chapter 2. It can reach to the heights of the heavens so that after it raises us dead to life, it seats us with Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. It reaches a span that goes all the way back to the eternity so that before the foundations of the earth, God chose us in him, Ephesians chapter 1. And it is so broad that it can tear down the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it can bring those who are far off near, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul does not pray that you will love Christ more. He prays that you will know how much Christ loves you. That's interesting to me. Because I often pray that I would love Christ more. I don't think there's anything wrong with that prayer. But Paul here is praying that you will know how much Christ loves you. So I say to you out of caution. There was an old song. I I think it was a country song. I I don't even know who sang it. But it, it was on the radio when I was younger. And I don't remember all of it, so if there's something bad in it, forgive me here. But it was Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Have you ever heard that song? Looking for love in all, I don't even remember all the words, but looking for love in too many faces, looking for love, couldn't find love. Let me me tell you this. Guy, girl in the room, don't look for your heart's desire of love in another person. Look for that in Christ. If you are looking for another person to complete you, as the movie says, you've got a problem because you're putting a weight on another human that they can't bear. Look to be complete in Christ and run hard and fast after Christ. And when you're running as fast as you can, you look to the left, you look to the right, you see who's running with you, and then you say to them, hey, you want to run together? And if Christ is at the center and if Christ is at the pinnacle, then as you run closer to Christ, you'll grow closer to each other. Don't put a weight on somebody that they can't bear. And don't look for somebody else to love you or accept you when what you really want is the unconditional love of a perfect Savior. We do what we love. If you love to read, you read all the time. If you love to play video games, you play video games all the time. If you love sports, you play sports all the time. 
Do you love Jesus? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you sing? Do you worship? Do you seek out things, not out of a checklist, but out of the affections of your heart? Ephesians 5.2 is going to tell us walk in love. You can't walk in love, because it goes on, it says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. You can't walk in love until you understand how much you have been loved. So Paul here is praying for you to understand how much God loves you. Filled with the fullness of God, quickly. How are we not already filled with God? We are. So he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about sanctification. How can we ever contain the fullness of God? We can't. So he's not saying that we will ever contain all that there is of God. He's just saying for us, I pray that you would understand the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Fill your cup up with God so that you bleed Bible, you speak Bible, you understand Bible. That's how we know God. You are loved more than you could ever imagine by God. So if you're in the room right now and you wonder, does anybody love me? The answer to that is a resounding yes. You are loved by God. Stop looking for approval in other people when you have been accepted by the king of the universe. Last word, exaltation. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able, he's able, to do far, far more, far more abundantly. You think Paul's trying to make a point here? Far more abundantly more than all that we ask or think according to the power who is at work within us. So if you're looking for somebody else to meet your needs, you don't need to because God can do far more abundantly all that you ask or think. He can meet every need that you have. The question is, do you trust him? Oh, but I've got this need and I really need to fulfill this need right now because that's an eternal, that's a wrong perspective of immediate gratification over eternal perspective. God can meet your needs, all of your needs. That's what it says here. Far more abundantly than you're even going to dare to ask or think he can do. You don't need to look elsewhere. By the power that is at work within us, he who began a good work in you will complete it. And then it says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now this phrase in a doxology is not used anywhere else in scripture. Both of these together, in the church and in Christ Jesus. But it fits perfectly for us and where we are in Ephesians. Because we've already talked about the church being where God unites all things to himself. And we've already talked about how often he mentions the words in Christ Jesus so that we find our identity in Christ Jesus. So to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We need strengthening through the Spirit, to comprehend the love of Christ and live in the fullness of God. These requests build on each other. The Spirit strengthens us. Christ dwells in our heart. We understand how much he loves us. When we understand how much he loves us, our affections change and we don't love the things of this world or our sin more than we love God. We love God more than we love the things of this world. And as our affections change, we live in the fullness of God, overflowing, not legalism, but right action because we love God and do what we please. But what we please then pleases God. This is how it works. And if you're not there, then your Jesus is too small and you are too big. And so your assignment is to humble yourself, to ask for strength so that you can comprehend the love of Christ so that then through exaltation you can exalt and glorify God. My prayer for you is Paul's prayer. 
so that what you will realize is nothing that you ask is too great for God, so that you will understand that you align your passions, your God-given passions, with your God-given gifts. You put your gifts and your passions together, and you use that as a platform, a vocation, to go out to love God well and to love others well. And in that, you do ministry. If you're in the room right now and you're wondering, could God ever use me to do anything great? Oh, yeah. Humble yourself. Pray for strength through the power of the Spirit so you can comprehend the love of Christ and then exalt him in all that you do and watch out. Because you align your God-given talents with your God-given passions and you launch out on a vocation and you love God through that vocation and you love others through that vocation and whatever God has called you to do, it's gonna be amazing at how God uses you to impact eternity. Don't ever let anybody put in your mind that God can't use you. Don't let the devil's lie that God can't use you ever find root in your heart or in your mind. There is nobody in this room that God can't use because it's not about you, it's about him. And he can do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Dear God, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, we know that in our own power, we can do nothing, but we know that you can do all things. So for all those in the room today, Lord, I ask that you would use them to do amazing things. That you would use them. But Lord, even more than that, I ask that you would allow all of us to comprehend and understand through the strength of your spirit, the love that Christ has for us so that you may be exalted as we live lives characterized as being filled with God. In Jesus' name I pray, through the power of the spirit. Amen. And you are dismissed.